In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And good morning. And I'd invite you this morning, if you could, on your either your Bibles or your electronic devices, tablets, phones, uh, find, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, 31 as the primary uh, source of this morning's thoughts. Again, that's Romans 8, 26 through 31. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray is for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for all those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. For whom he, is, he, is, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And for those who he predestined, he also called. And for those he called, he also justified. And for whom he justified, he has also glorified. What then shall we say about say to these things? If God is for us, who shall be against us? I hope I hope everybody's holding up in this season. That now, uh, now that we've ended March, March parts one, two, and three, that we've given way to uh, a Virginia summer. Now, while we still remain at part. Uh, is we can have the enjoy the pleasure of having church on the deck instead of merely church on the couch. Uh, you can swap a hot coffee for a cool iced tea or, or the beverage of your choice. Uh, and considering the past 10 days, I'm certain that most, of, most if not all of us have asked in our prayer, prayer closet or quiet time, uh, God, what and why is this happening? How did we go from listening to listening or yet another flu to, to spark up in South Asia uh, to uh, walking around with masks and foggy glasses? Then, as Ron Popeil was wont to say back in the day, but wait, there's more. This month has, has been been. This month has brought both marchers who are seeking redress for real injustice, and it's also brought anarchists who took opportunity to go in and pillage. Uh, at moments like this, how do we reconcile the words of St. Paul in Romans 8.28? How are, how are these things working to our good? Well, in the coming moments, I'd like to spend some time shifting our focus from how do we reconcile this to why we can trust this is truth. Which is why I've, I've titled this, this, this devotion uh, a promise and not a platitude. This morning we've, we looked at a portion of, of the epistle that brought much comfort to saints throughout the ages. But you know, truth be told, it's also been a source of false comfort or assurance, to whom the promise was never made to. 
I'm certain that you've heard well-meaning persons share a portion of Romans 8.28 with someone who's experienced some tragic loss or is in the midst of a very difficult or trying season of their lives. Now, I trust, I stress the word portion because rarely does the individual sharing that thought uh, share the entire verse, which would drastically alter what is being conveyed. Now today, if you are a child of God, you can rest in full assurance on the promise of this verse because not only are you the object of the, the sentence, but you're the object of God's love. Conversely, if someone were to find themselves outside the family of God and walking, willfully walking in disobedience to his kingdom, uh, the promise is, is not only void, but in reality it's 180 degrees from what the promise is. Paul reminds us in Romans 6 that the wages of sin or a life lived apart from God simply is death. Therefore, we could conclude that Perhaps we know, we know that for those who reject God, all things do not work together for the good. To, for those who have resisted being called according to his purpose. This said, I can also say with the utmost assurance that if this is a description of your heart this morning, this is a highly treatable condition. Uh, because God is calling and continues to call all those who are, are estranged from him to be reconciled back to him through the propitiatory death and resurrection of his son, Christ Jesus. So let's ask the question, why, why do all things work together for good? For a couple of reasons. The first reason is that we are recipients of divine prayer. St. Paul tells us in verse 26 and 27, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. One of the first and foremost reasons that all things are working to our good is the fact that we are recipients of divine prayer. In the same way an earthly parent prays for their children, God through his Holy Spirit prays for us as his children. While being God's children in this present age, uh, we find ourselves continually find ourselves along a divine line of, line of divine demarcation if you'll have it between the present and the eternal. And consequently, along that line, we live in a tension between being children of heaven while living out our sojourn here on, on planet Earth, on this fallen world. And as St. Paul uh, reminds us in, in his, uh, that he described how this very cosmos groans and longs for that moment where Christ sets things in order. As St. John described in Revelation 21 and 5, where he wrote, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Someday it's going to get better. But for now, uh, we live along this fault line, 
And not only do we live along this fault line, uh, we live the majority of our lives, probably on average between five to seven feet above ground level. And that causes us pretty much in the physical to go through life through, with a limited horizon. Our perceptions are limited to the, to the physical. And though we strive to pray earnestly and fervently and effectively, much too often, even our best efforts, prayers, fall way too short. Kind of like landing like a poorly hit softball in the infield. Or like, or like that, shank golf, that shank golf shot right out of the tee box. It's going that 45 degrees away from where you want it to go. But in spite of this, because the Holy Spirit is alongside us making intercessions for us, things work to the good because that Holy Spirit is praying for us. He sees that our, our weaknesses. He sees our spiritual nearsightedness and comes alongside of us. Uh, I want you to... Think of a time in your life. Uh, for me, it was seven years ago. Seeing my youngest son uh, lying still in a, in a bed in an ICU unit with the only movement that was coming from his chest and that was being affected by, a, uh, by the ventilator. How do you pray during that time? How do you pray when it feels like your soul has been wrung out like a chamois? Uh, or it could be a time when you're enmeshed in, in, uh, in, or in some immediate danger. It's at this very movement, child of God, that this Holy Spirit is alongside of us uttering intercessory prayer that's deeper and more profound than we can ever comprehend. And just as it was the will of the Father for the Holy Spirit to come alongside us, to empower our faith and our lives, to walk in this world as his witness... It's the Father's good pleasure uh, to, to allow the, the, the Holy Spirit to, to do this, to pray with us and for us. And you know, this should humble us, really, if, if you stop and think about it. Should we begin imagining ourselves as some kind of mighty, polished Without the Holy Spirit's intercession, what would the fruits of our prayers look like? I imagine, in my mind, they, they wouldn't look like nice, big, juicy grapes. They'd probably look like raisins. But we're recipients of a divine calling as well. St. Paul further, in unpacking the truth of why all things are working to our ultimate good, does, does so in a compelling uh, fashion. Uh, my fellow language geeks, this line of reason, you'd know this, is it was, it's known as a line of Cerides. What's a Cerriti? A Cerriti is where the predicate of a sentence becomes the subject of the subsequent sentence. And we see that, we'll see that as, as we look through, down through verse 29 and 30. For those whom he pre-knew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined he also called. And for those he called, he also justified. And for those he justified, he also glorified. Con continue and consider why the thing, why to the good for the child of God. We cannot ignore the fact that we were called from eternity past to be recipients of God's grace. Uh, the grace of God, rather. 
And it was the Father's perfect will from the midst of eternity past. And verses 29 and 30 take us through a powerful description of that. From a time before... Think about it, Saint. From a time before time, you were known and loved by God. This foreknowledge is expressed also in the, in the original word prognosco, which is a powerful word that not only conveys the idea of a foreknowledge, but a foreordination as well. Usually when we speak of ordinations, ordinations it's easy for us to, to kind, of, kind of cabbage that into uh, those who have received the calling and are set forth as either bishops, priests, or deacons. Every child of God has received an ordination of such and his foreknowledge. The father proclaimed this to be his royal decree of his predestination. You know, you think about this and it's a little bit mind-blowing. And, and at a point, we, we've, uh, we've seen in, into the heart of God. At that moment, he decreed that we would be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, so that he, the only begotten of the Father, would be honored above all. It's because of this divine decree that we've been called into, into life of, with a life of faith in God through his son Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now this calling begs a question. How can the unholy and depraved stand before the holy and infinite without being utterly destroyed? Uh, that person on their own would not be able to stand before the presence of the Almighty without having their atomic, subatomic particles that make up their body being scattered to the four winds. Uh, consider, I consider the words of, of the prophet Isaiah in, in Isaiah 6, when he said, when he found him face to face with the Godhead, he said, woe am I, woe is me, for I am ruined. Other, other uh, Pat translations would say, for I am undone. Uh, or even the writer himself who was struck down on the road of Damascus. No, the father knew that for order, in order for us to stand in, in his presence, we would have to be given a right standing. And this moment, at that moment occurred right at the point where we responded to his call. Because we placed our faith in him through responding to his invitation, uh, we were made just through faith. And this isn't a New Testament inno innovation. From the time of Abraham, we learned that all those who were Old Testament saints uh, who followed God and answered his call, uh, they, were, they were justified by their faith that they, they placed in, in the God that was calling them. Uh, we were made just by... just. Just They were made just by their trust in him and his promise. Now this takes us to the logical end of, of this chain of glorious events where St. Paul declares, for whom those the Father died, that he is also glorified. And that, glorify, that glorification of the saint will be fully manifested at, this, at the appearance of the Messiah where St. John described in 1 John 3, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. 
Because he loved us, he declared in, in eternity past that we would be glorified through all eternity, seated in the heavenly places alongside with, with his son. But this, this potent truth, and it's also a point where we could easily find ourselves sucked into moments of doubt or uncertainty. I once had somebody say, who had has been a follower of, of, of Christ for all her life, Ask me, well, Andy, how, how do I know I've really been called? Uh, don't let that get into your, don't let, let the enemy put that in your head because that will have you s- sitting up all night, getting sucked fusion. Uh, that thought may creep into our heads, but now I, I'd like to give you some insurance. I would, it would simply to be say, if you're not a child of God, Worrying about whether you're a child of God is going to be the farthest thing from your mind. Uh, where the child of God decide, desires to, to please God, their Lord, the unregenerate heart uh, doesn't give two wooden nickels about this at all and living their lives for their, their own purposes and walking by, whistling by the graveyard. So this morning... If you said yes to the Father, it's because he foreordained and predestined you to do so. So now we are recipients of, now that we know that we're recipients of this call, we're also recipients of divine justification. Paul's brings us to the moment where uh, one, one pastor who used to be in Northern Virginia had a Sunday broadcast. He would ask one question at the end of his sermon. So What? So what is the so what moment? Uh, Paul asked the question, he said, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now it's a rhetorical question in its original rendering where St. Paul literally says, if God is for me, who can be against me? Now, let's say it at home, let's say this together in unison. Say it with me, if God is for me, who can be against me? And say it aloud to make it stick. If God is for me, who is against me? Uh, how much more evidence is this fact concerning that God the Father gave God the Son, his perfect image, made incarnate in the man Christ Jesus to be that perpetuatory sacrifice as an atonement of sins? Now, I am not a big fan of this cliche, and some people will say, God, bank, God the Father bankrupted heaven to pay the price of our redemption. Well, technically, you cannot bankrupt the infinite. Uh, but what you can say is you can offer, you can offer up the most tri- uh, priceless treasure in heaven, as if God the Father looked, looked in and scanned all the things that were there that could have been brought to bear for our redemption. And he found the ultimate that was brought for us. And by extension, because he did this, uh, who may successfully indict us because we have already been acquitted by heaven's highest court? So finally, we can rest assured on the fact that all things are working good for the child of the kingdom because Jesus himself continues to intercede by the Father on our behalfs. The Lord who prayed for St. Peter 
also prayed for us in the garden. And he considers to seek the Father's heart for his own. So what do we say to all this in the midst of the strife that we're finding? Uh, We can confidently say that all things work for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We are not quoting day spring greeting card platitudes in saying this. We are declaring the counsel of the Almighty and an ironclad com- uh, promise to the child of heaven. And in closing, uh, I'd encourage you, uh, this, this, is just, this is just your deacon's heart to you. Turn off the TV, open the Bible, listen to some great music, and pray, 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 pray. And let us pray. Father, we do thank you that while we we do go through what seems like maelstroms sometimes, uh, just as as your son Jesus was in the boat with the apostles, uh, your Holy Spirit stands beside us. And with that Holy Spirit's help, we will weather the storm to your glory. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.